Whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, fear is a part of our lives. Uh, we probably don't run around afraid all the time, overwhelmed all the time by our fears, but fear is real. Fear is real uh, in the way that uh, our, our body responds. It's natural to uh, occasionally be fearful, maybe more often than occasionally. It is hardwired into our body. In fact, when we become afraid, we are... Uh, our amygdala, a part of our brain, shuts down uh, all of our thinking functions. That's its initial function. Don't think, just run. Or don't think, just fight. That's all that it tells us to do. This is a moment when you don't have time to consider what you need to do. The lion will eat you if you stand here and think about it. Run. Run really fast. Uh, or Whatever it happens to be, that is... Uh, that is the way our brains work. Fear is very real. And we live in a time, for the last several years, with a worldwide pandemic, we have lived in fear. Uh, oftentimes fear of our neighbor, the neighbor who might give us COVID-19, the neighbor who might, uh, who might not have the same level of precautions we do, uh, fearful of uh, some people fearful of the vaccination that will, you know, will perhaps keep us from getting COVID. Although, as we've discovered, you can be vaccinated now and get a variant of COVID as well. So fear has shaped a lot of things. Fear has shaped the way the church reacts to the world around it sometimes. Uh, rather than acting out of love, we have retreated sometimes into ourselves, and I find myself on the edge of fear. If I'm really, really honest uh, with you, at this moment in history, the way church is now with uh, a lot of our friends online and some of our friends in, purpose, in person, um, the truth is, this is not what I was trained to do. But then again, when I first came to St. James, I was trained to do traditional worship. And within two years of coming here, we started doing uh, what we called at that time contemporary or modern worship. So I am assuming and trusting, better than assuming, I am trusting that God will lead me through. But the truth is, I, I fear that I might not be enough, that I might not be smart enough to learn uh, to learn the new skills I need, that I might not be faithful enough to trust that God will lead me into whatever future that it is. I'm fearful that uh, um, we might not be able to impact the world the way I always hoped. I'm fearful that hate will overtake the world in which I live. I'm fearful that we can't seem to be able to talk to each other, especially when we don't see things the same way. All of this generates a kind of fear in me that leaves me uncertain about how to respond in the world in which we live. Now, today's story is about one of the prophets. Now, this prophet does not even get his own book. He gets like three chapters and an occasional mention again. Three chapters in a book that is named after the kings. In the first book of the kings, Elijah gets mentioned. 
They bring him up periodically throughout the rest of the Bible. But, you know, even Jonah, the runaway prophet who jumps on his boat and takes off and tries to get away, even Jonah gets an entire book in five chapters. Elijah, not so much. Elijah, these three chapters. And in these three chapters is today's passage, which I'll be reading to you. It's 1 Kings chapter 19, and I'm reading selected verses from the beginning of that chapter. So it goes something like this. Now Ahab, who was the king of Israel, okay, let's get a background because when you start throwing all these names around, everyone's like, I don't know who that is. Ahab is king of the northern, by this point when Elijah rises up, the, kingdoms, uh, the kingdom of Israel, which used to be one kingdom, has split in half, not quite half. And the northern ten tribes go one way, and that's now called Israel. And the southern tribes, the southern two tribes, go another way, and they're called Judah. And they were originally both Israel. Jerusalem lives in Judah, the, the town of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is in Judah, the southern kingdom, but the northern kingdom, Israel, is its own kingdom. And it is currently, uh, its king's name is Ahab. And Ahab has a wife that he married from, uh, from among, not from among his Jewish sisters and brothers, but uh, from uh, from another group altogether. And she worshipped different gods. And Ahab started worshipping different gods than God. So when you hear about Ahab or Jezebel, those are who we're talking about. The king and queen of the northern kingdom, and they're not particularly faithful to God. Hence the whole reason why Elijah shows up. Now with that much background, let's, uh, let's pick up again chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah did and how he killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Thanks, Siri. I don't know why you're having trouble hearing me. Siri just spoke up if you're online and wondering why the heck we had to stop there for a moment. It's because my friend Siri decided to ask me what I was really saying. No idea why. Uh, so this is going to be that morning, isn't it? So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of the prophets you killed. Full of fear, Elijah fled for his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his attendant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat, uh, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Adonai, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel of Adonai touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there near his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate the cake, drank the water and lay down again. This 
goes in an ongoing kind of process. Uh, strengthened by the food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and spent the night, and the word of Adonai came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for Adonai God omnipotent. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of Adonai, for Adonai is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks by Adonai's power. But Adonai was not in the whirlwind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but Adonai was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but Adonai was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for Adonai, God omnipotent. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too. Adonai said to Elijah, go back the way you came to the desert of Damascus. Go back. This is a word for the Lord, from the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. You know, there are some several, several pieces of this text that just I can't help but comment on and, and that for me spoke so much to the reality for us today. You know, the reason we continue to read the Bible, even though many of the stories are two, three thousand, even older, four thousand, up to four thousand years old, the reason why we keep reading these is because we can see our own humanity even in the prophets of God. We can see our own uh, weaknesses, our own tripping over our own feet, our own struggles with faith, our own uncertainty, and in the case of Elijah, even our own fear. And what that fear might say to us about who we are. At the beginning of this story, there is something common to us all. Something threatens us. Now, someone may not write to you, might not be the queen of the land you live in, and send a messenger to you and tell you, if you're not dead by tomorrow, may God strike me dead. That's essentially what uh, Jezebel says. You're probably not, but there are other threats. There are threats to your ability to care for your family. There are threats to your ability to be the person you thought you could be. There are threats to the things that hold our own extended relationships by seeing the world in different ways uh, and having different people within our own extended family unable to talk to us about the way we perceive the world. There are uh, threats to our very environment. There are threats to our neighbors. Uh, threats just seem to abound on all sides. So we share in common with Elijah, perhaps not a direct threat from the queen, 
but the fact that our lives at every twist and turn are threatened by something. And whether it's literally by death or by, uh, uh, by the loss of something that's given us meaning, jobs, places to live, uh, food and livelihood, all of those pieces as they uh, fall away leave us in a place. And we find ourselves in the exact same place that Elijah did. Let's be honest with each other. If we feel a threat, fear is often our very first response. My friend Elijah, and I dare to call him my friend, my friend Elijah because, hey, he and I share a lot in common, and one of them is sometimes I am full of fear. In the midst of the pandemic, I had absolutely no idea how this was all going to ever work again, whether we'd ever be able to come back together. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we would say to ourselves, oh, in two or three weeks, we'll be back to normal. And then it was two or three months. And now it's been two or three years. And we're still where we are, kind of. And, and all of the divisions that we once thought were just kind of mild, have been become so pronounced, it's just obvious. There are some neighbors we know that we just don't even know who they are, what they think, where they got the thoughts they got. We don't get it. And on the other side of it, let's just be honest, they don't get where we get ours. And so there's all these reasons how can we ever get back to whatever the new normal is going to be? We fear we might not be enough. We fear, okay, maybe we don't. I fear I may not be enough to the task ahead. I fear I may be too much for the task ahead. My own discomfort and uncertainty sometimes leads me to say stupid things. Sometimes it makes me, it's less likely these days because I'm a little bit more self-aware than I once was, but sometimes in moments that were totally inappropriate, I would try to make everybody happy, happy, joy, joy, let's sing all the happiness, woo, even if it wasn't a happy time. Always trying to look on the good side, and that was because I didn't like the bad side. I didn't like the pain that comes on the other side. So I was quick to jump to the joyful side, even though I didn't really feel joyful. And that made me pretty inauthentic. Maybe I'll be too much. Used to be I'd walk in the room and boom, you knew Joy James was here because Mr. Loud, here he comes. Here you're rolling down the hallway when we used to have the old building. I might be in the fellowship hall at the beginning of, the, of Sunday morning, and it was down this not really long hall, maybe 100 100 feet from one end to the other to the worship center and people would say yeah we heard you coming from way down at the other end sometimes they'd hear me through the floor we had a we had a 12 inch thick concrete floor between the upper and lower levels and somebody would say yeah I heard you coming long before you were even on the stairs James because boom here I am sometimes I think of myself as bigger than life sometimes I wonder and I'm afraid I might be too much too much for the person who speaks softly, who's an introvert, who doesn't ever get a chance to speak because before I give them enough silent space to actually tell me what's going on, I get loud. The silence makes me uncomfortable and my fears make me speak. 
My amygdala kicks right into action. Say something. Say something. Then you don't have to be in silence. Fear can paralyze us. Fear can make us fight. And I'm convinced that's what divides us most in our world today. Fear. Afraid of the other. Afraid of what they might do. I mean, I, I used to think churches were safe spaces. Do you know for the first time ever when we were at annual conference, uh, at least the first time I've ever seen, we had security guards. You know, off-duty police officers all around. You know, sort of blending into the background a little bit, but they were there. I could never have imagined a world where a group of church people would gather in a space. And yet in South Carolina several years ago, you know, a white supremacist walked in in his own terroristic way was welcomed by his black sisters and brothers only to turn around and for him to kill them all in a Bible study in church. I used to think church was a safe place. I used to think school for our children was a safe place. It's not a safe place anymore. How must parents who are sending their children off to school anymore feel fearful? We begin to look at each other through the eyes of fear. How will we ever, you know, as much as I know the universe is fabricated out of love, nothing, and nothing is without love. Nothing holds together without love. Even though I know that is true deep within me, it would give me pause to send Hannah and Joshua off to school on a daily basis when they were little. I didn't worry 20 years ago when they were little. Well, I did worry, but about different things. And now there seems no place that's safe. Maybe that's good, because there really wasn't ever any place that was totally safe for a lot of us. Safety is an imagined concept in our mind that we could ever truly be safe. Because even in a locked room, I can have a heart attack. And if it's locked, nobody can come in and get me. When are we ever really, truly safe? We aren't. And that makes, me, that makes me afraid. There's another place to be fear, fearful. Fear just overwhelms. So when it says that Elijah was full of fear, I get it. Full of fear, Elijah ran away into the desert. One of the responses to fear, run away. Now, intriguingly enough, Elijah's name means I am is my God, or Adonai is my God, or my God is I am. My God is Adonai. My God is God's name, which we don't know exactly how to pronounce, and our Jewish sisters and brothers will not say it. So they don't say it out loud because it's a sacred name. And so I just use Adonai, which in Hebrew means my Lord. But we know it translates as I am. When you ask God who God is, God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. 
I am is my God. And a guy with a name like I am is my, is my God runs away into the desert. Now I want you to notice something about this. He becomes afraid for his life against the threat against him and he runs into the desert. Now I want you to notice something about this story because it's really important. You may think fear separates you from God and I'm here to tell you it does not. Because never once does God abandon Elijah when he runs away into the desert. He finds a broom tree. I have always wondered about broom trees. Uh, I've seen pictures of what maybe broom trees are. Jonah also has a broom tree in his story. He goes out and sits under his broom tree and then it dies. A worm comes along and kills it and then he's more ticked off about the dead tree than he is about the fact that uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's Jonah. Elijah finds a broom tree for some shade and he lays down and Ask God to take his life. It's, I, I'm done. I'm all alone in the world. Fear of being alone. Fear that nobody else will stand on your side. I'm all alone. And God appears and sustains Elijah even in that moment. God hears in that moment. God hears Elijah's cry and never stops listening. God never abandons Elijah. And I want you to know no matter how fearful you are, no matter how fearful I am, God never leaves me. I may be afraid I'm alone and that God couldn't love me because I'm not enough or I'm too much or I'm not gifted or talented or smart or whatever it happens to be enough, handsome enough. I don't know how I could be not, not be handsome enough. I already got that down. But, uh, yeah. The truth is, in the end, all of that fear, God never leaves us. We are often driven by three, uh, three core energy center fears we have. The fear that uh, we will lose control or power that we will be powerless or without control in our lives. And we want to imagine we have those things. A second fear that often drives us is the fear that we will be unappreciated, unloved, un no one will have affection or esteem for us, that they will not approve of who we are. We are fearful of losing that. And we're also fearful of losing our security and our very lives. Survival drives a lot of what we do, and the, the idea of security does as well. And it's out of those that fear is often born. You can see any one of those sets of things in COVID. The fear that I will not survive, hence our isolation from one another, our fear of being close to another one. Um, and then our, our siblings who flaunt that and say, hey, I'm unafraid of anything. I'm just going to walk right up to you, Mask, maskless and all. All of those challenges 
those core fears drive who we are sometimes. And so it is that Elijah arrives at a cave. He tra travels for a long time. 40 in the Bible means a long time. If you hear the number 40, it may literally be the number 40. But if you hear that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus went in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, or that Elijah journeyed for 40 days and 40 nights, it may literally be 40, but it also means for a long, long time. He journeyed for a long time until he came to the mountain of the Lord. And God said, I'll show up. And so he waits. And first there is a wind. And we all know God shows up in rushing winds. Maybe not hurricanes, maybe not tornado kinds of winds, but God blows where God will blow. God is wherever God wants to be. That's one of the reasons why we describe spirit the same word means wind. God is where God will be all the time. Don't try to hold God down. So there's a big wind. And the big wind, God's not in the big wind this time. And then there's an earthquake. Oh, boy, God shakes the earth. But God's not in the shaking earth. And then there's a fire. You know, and by this time, if we, you know, as having, having been uh, raised in an understanding of the biblical tradition, if we were uh, uh, the reader of the Hebrew Bible, the, uh, the, what we think of as the Old Testament, if we had read that and known the stories, when we read it and know the stories, we know that a pillar of fire led the people of Israel during the day when they were wandering around lost in the wilderness. There was a pillar of fire, and the fire happened. And there you go, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And then in this particular translation, it was in a quiet whisper. And Elijah knew in the quiet whisper, there God was. The subtle moment, God was there God was present in the subtle moment, in the subtle moment. Now let's be honest for a moment about our fear. When we're afraid, we would really like God to show up and stomp in. There comes God, watch out. My God's coming. You try to make me afraid, whatever you happen to be could be a non, you know, non-alive object like COVID-19. You thought you were going to frighten me? My God's going to come stomping in, wipe you out. Enemy somewhere, somewhere else? Oh, God's going to show up, wipe you out. Whatever our fear is, we would like God to show up in big, loud ways. Every once in a while, maybe if I'm really honest with you, more often than once in a while, when I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, you know, you think I know, but let, I'll just be honest, not all the time. Uh, I would really like the clouds to part, you know, just for a little angelic chorus appear. James, do not be afraid, for I have good tidings for you 
I brought you a piece of paper that says on it exactly what you're supposed to do with your life. But God, I cannot read Sanskrit. Oh well, <laughs> see you later, James. <laughs> you know, I, God wouldn't give me an unreadable message. Maybe. We'd like God to show up in a big way, but where does God show up? In the subtle whisper. Sometimes God shows up. Day before yesterday, I was hanging out with my family. I was at conference, but my sister and brother and my nephews came into town and because we were celebrating mom and dad and, and each other and seeing each other for the first time since the pandemic uh, began. And uh, we were talking and I said something about my sister and about my brother and then about myself and my sister called me out because I said very positive things about them and I said a less positive thing about myself. And my sister Ellen called me out and said, did you hear yourself, James? Did you hear yourself? And in that small whisper of my sister Ellen, I heard the voice of God. In a still small whisper of my sister Ellen, I heard the voice of God. You have to listen closely because God shows up in subtle ways. In the sounds of squirrels and birds outside your open window in the springtime. God shows up in the neighbor who, who says hello to you. Uh, the same neighbor who passes by you speechless for the last five years suddenly decides to say hello this morning. And suddenly you feel like maybe something's right about the world, that the neighbor who has never spoken spoke. Or just when you think yesterday morning before we left town to come back home, we were taking mom and dad out for breakfast. This is the second time they've been to a restaurant since before the pandemic. The first time was Thursday night when we celebrated their anniversary. So we're taking them out for breakfast and we try to go to Cracker Barrel with a 45 minute wait. And you know, would have been sardines in a small room. So we go to their second favorite diner nearby and what do they have? outdoor seating spaced away from each other and we sit and enjoy breakfast unmasked and relatively unafraid. Was that God that opened that door? I don't know. But it sure seems like a subtle whisper that we were meant to have breakfast together and that we were meant to have it in a way that made us all feel a little safer in the open air on the patio with a nice breeze. God often shows up in the subtle places, in places we didn't imagine they would be, and so we walk right past them. In the end of this story, God's word to Elijah is this, go back and face your fears. Go back and face your fears. Go back the way you came is literally what it says. But when I hear those words, what I hear is an invitation for Elijah to face his fears. And I hear in it a reassurance that he's not alone. That the subtlety of God's presence will always be with him. So he can go back the way he came. Because God is with him. 
Now, let's just be honest with each other. Fears rise all the time, every day in different ways. It doesn't make you bad that you're afraid. It, it, it does, it, there's no value judgment in it at all. Fear is a natural, physical, bodily response. It's self-protective. It's designed to keep you from getting hurt. When you suddenly have fear overcome you, when you get ready to step in front of the bus and you step back, you've saved your life. Or your fear has saved your life. Because if you thought about it, hey, that's a big bus, and then you're flat on the pavement. Fear made you jump back. Fear can be our friend, but we have to be careful before we let it take over our lives. Full of fear, we run away. Full of fear, we get into fights. Full of fear, instead of doing something, we freeze. Full of fear. But God is with us and invites us to face our fears. Now, as a way of reflecting this morning, I, I have a collection of, 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 of prayers. They're Native American prayers, but I find a lot of meaning in them. Uh, I found this uh, through someone who rubbed me the wrong way. The person who rubbed me the wrong way would read these prayers in two different gatherings that I was in with this person who rubbed me the wrong way. And I have found these prayers to be a gift, not only to me, but to others. So these are called prayers of honoring voice, and they're about honoring the voice that rises up within us and speaking whatever that voice is out loud to God and trusting ourselves to something bigger than we are. That's how I hear this. This one is about honoring fear. And I want you to reflect with me as you hear these, this, these words of honoring fear. Thank you for this day of awareness of my intense desire to run away. My fears are stopping me, keeping me small and hidden in a corner. Stand me up and set me free from this tiny room of shadows where my voice wavers and my shoulders shudder. Help me call, uh, help me call them out and name them. Beckon them forward so I may face them. Be my strength when I order them to back down. When my throat locks up and silence hangs thick on my tongue, energize me with your bright blue light of courage. Arm me with a sword of light to slice through the illusion I mistake for belief. Train me to dodge their advances with the mastery of a spiritual Aikido and deflect them with the cuffs of gold. Train me for battle with my worries, troubles, imprints, and memories. Smoothly guide me through the challenges and anxieties of the unknown. Redefine my relationship to uncertainty. Light up the room with a glimpse, glimpse of life on the other side of these consuming and irrational discouragements. Remind me that few of my fears actually come true, and even if they have, it doesn't mean they always will.
Equip me not for the worst that can happen, but with determination to take all things into consideration with a reasonable and quiet mind, no shrinking back reflexively. Give me pause to reflect before reacting. Let me listen with the heart of a loving parent to the part that's afraid to cross the shaky bridge. Let me not be daunted by a devouring sensation of fright, but instead thank it audibly for a cautionary attempt to protect me from harm. Let me learn a new way to console my fears and talk myself through the process. Demonstrate how I can gently dismantle terror and soothe my uneasiness with the wisdom of what I know to be true. Let my voice feel the fright and speak anyway. It's okay if it trembles. It will not always be this way if I practice. Help me understand what it will be like to be free and take measured steps to get there. Fill me with assurance and hope. Don't let your fears keep you small. Don't let it back you into a corner. Because each of us is infinitely precious and unconditionally loved, made in the image of God. And the image we bear is unique in each of us. It is a gift to those who know us and those who don't. And it can be a gift to God for us to reflect that bit back. One of the things we do every week at St. James is pray. Each one of us prays in our own way, if we're really honest. We pray while we're driving, if we drive. Sometimes we pray for the driver of the bus we're on or the plane we're flying in. Uh, or the van we're driving in. If we're a passenger, we pray for whoever else is driving. We pray when we go and risk ourselves in a shopping center to buy our groceries, to find clothes to fit us. We pray in a lot of instances. We voice those things within us. But part of what prayer is, is learning simply to be present and trust that God is too. And that's the hardest one, especially for extroverts who think I've got to keep saying things or else there's emptiness. God fills those silences with meaning. So as we come to a time of prayer, I want us to continue to pray for those who are grieving and struggling, those who are facing difficulty in life. Whatever that difficulty may be, it may be physical, it may be mental or emotional or spiritual, but I want us to pray for all those who are struggling. I want us to pray for those who have lost people who matter, like the Alverts. I want us to pray for others who uh, who have lost loved ones, especially during a pandemic that didn't let them celebrate their lives and find comfort in traditional rituals because you couldn't do it. You couldn't be together. And they're still grieving 
in unresolved grief. I want us uh, to pray that we'll be courageous enough to love when fear would make us hide, that we would be courageous enough to love and be God's people. The hard work of being people of faith. I want us to be thankful today. Uh, although it's a mixed bag about what we're thankful for, today is Juneteenth where we celebrate emancipation. But the fact that we ever thought it was okay to enslave our siblings is wrong. <laughs> it was just wrong. But that emancipation happened, we can be thankful for. I want us uh, to pray for those who have been fathers to us. Some of them were biological. I am so very thankful every day for my dad. Um, but for others who have given us that word of encouragement, that have stood strong for us and shown us a way, those folks have been fathers in their own way, whether they were biologically or not. That's probably enough. So we'll enter into a moment of silence together. I'll pray aloud, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray any version you know, any version you want to, but there will also be one on the screen behind me. Could we enter into a moment of silent prayer together? Gracious and eternal mystery. Sometimes in our lives, fear speaks loud and we can't hear you. We can't hear your still small voice for all the cacophony of shouts and screams around us, for the shaking of the earth, for the wind storms and other kinds of ways we are buffeted in this life. And when our fear speaks loudly, O Lord, help us to find practices that quiet our fear enough to hear your, to hear your still small voice, to know you in the sheer silence and the quiet whisper, the smile of a stranger, the hopping of a bunny in our front yard. Let us know you in all things and everywhere, in one another, and to see that your love for us calls us even out of the desert of our lives to face the fears that we think speak loudest. We pray in our lives, Lord, that we will let love speak loudest to us, louder than fear.
that when we let our own fears name who we are, fear that we might not be enough, that we might be too much, that we might not have what it takes, that we might have too much of what it takes, that we don't fit in, whatever those fears may be, that we let name us, help us to let go of those naming forces so that we remember the only thing that can name us in this universe is your love. You have named us your own, and you love us as we are. For all those who struggle in our world, for those who grieve, for those who have been fathers to us, who have led us on the path of life in ways that have mattered, we are thankful. We are thankful for this day in which we celebrate emancipation, and we are at the same time heartily sorry that ever we felt it was okay to enslave our siblings. Lord, help us, help us to be your people, to love with an open heart, to know that we are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved, just like everybody else we meet. Because we want to be more like your son, more like Jesus. And we want to follow in his path. And as a part of that, we pray now the prayer that he taught us we could pray, saying, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen.